Good morning, Village Church. It is great to see you again this morning. It's my honor to open God's word with you this morning and look at this very interesting subject of spiritual warfare. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, the devil made me do it? Have you heard that phrase before? How many of you have ever used the phrase, don't answer that, all right? Uh, the devil made me do it. Is there truth to that phrase? It's an, it's an interesting question. What can and what cannot the devil do in our lives and in the world around us? Could it be that there is a real entity called the devil who is manipulating events and individuals in our world to influence them to do his bidding? I take you to a passage of scripture that you may already be familiar with, and this is where we're entering into our series on Victorious, Ephesians chapter six. Would you take your Bibles and look to Ephesians chapter six? I wanna to read to you some pretty powerful verses here, and it's no mistake that they're found in Ephesians six, right after we talk about what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like, we enter into a conversation about warfare. Look in Ephesians six and verse 10. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. These verses explain to us that there is a war going on all around us, but it doesn't include explosives and gunfire. Unless you live in downtown Chicago, then it might. This is a battle led by Satan against the redemptive work of Jesus Christ going on in the world around us. Everything that Jesus is infiltrating in order to make into a redemptive trophy for his grace, Satan is actively working against to tear down. It's a battle to snuff out any glimmer of righteousness and corrupt and devalue the values that God gives us in his word. It's a battle led by one who, I hate this word, I hate it that it's in here. And hate, you're thinking, Craig, that's an awful word to use. Yes, I intend for it to be an awful word because I want you to know that this individual, the reason that we are to hate him is because he schemes against us. What does that conjure up in your mind when you hear somebody scheming? They sit at night and they think of ways that they can individually tear one other person down or get their will to be done through them. And he is a schemer. Who could look at our world today and say that we have not seen evil in our world like we haven't seen for the last hundred years or maybe even since medieval days? Unless you don't know this, there are, there are people being crucified in town squares for their stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ, nailed to crosses. There are people being buried alive. There are children being buried alive for their stand for Jesus Christ. There are beheadings that go on. You've seen some of those, people being burned alive, all because they will not bend the knee to a religious, fanatical way of living. There is a war going on. And when people see this on their televisions, I hear them struggling with the words to use, you know, because you see it, and then the newscasters have to identify it. 
and they say, well, these misguided individuals or, or these people that are, uh, they don't know what they're doing and they're being led by the nose into these ways. And, and you look at this stuff and it seems to get worse and worse. I mean, is it just me or do you feel like this too? It just seems to get worse. And who would have ever thought we'd live in a world where somebody is put into a cage and lit on fire? And yet this goes on on a regular basis and they advertise it across the world. They brag about it. And you look at it and you have to identify it. And so people in the world have to say, well, I gotta identify it with an adjective and they choose all kinds. But the one that they skip over because they just can't bring themselves to say it is the word evil. And there's an evil present in our world that is constantly on the march And its intention is to go against anything that God is trying to redeem. Our struggle, according to God's word, is not against flesh and blood, but it is a struggle nonetheless. And we're gonna talk about that this morning. It's a struggle about what is behind the flesh and blood, what is influencing flesh and blood to do its very bidding. I spoke on this this morning and one person on the way out said, when you were speaking, Craig, I imagined that there was an individual trying to get you to do his bidding standing behind you. I said, thank you for that visual. That's, uh, I'm gonna assume that's an angel of God and not the other side. So my question to you is, who is my enemy really? Who are we really talking about when we talk about our enemy? In 2001, right after 9-11, there was a a poll taken, how many people actually believe that there's an entity, real entity called the devil? 68% of Americans thought that there were. Fast forward 10 years into 2013, a little over 10 years, 57% of Americans believe that there's an actual entity called the devil. Now, that may make you think, I didn't realize those statistics were so high. Neither did I, so I did a little bit more research into Barna. Barna does this research. In the realm of Christendom, for those that go to church who call themselves Christians, Four out of 10 Christians believe that Satan is not a living being, but rather a symbol of evil. An additional 20% said that they believed that statement somewhat, and 8% said they had no idea. That means that 68% of people who identify as Christians do not fully believe that there is a living entity named the devil, named Satan, who works against them. I heard it said this way, one of the greatest schemes of the devil that he has pulled off is convincing the world he doesn't exist. And the scary thing is, if he convinces the church, he doesn't exist. Most pastors don't teach on these passages or even teach on the battle that we're involved in because it sounds a little too radical, a little too dangerous. It sounds a little too something like out of you know poltergeist or something like that. And maybe we, maybe we are to really, maybe we've gone beyond the, okay, we believe in the devil bit, and maybe we can think of him more as an evil entity. Maybe we should be there. So I would ask you this question. How many people do you think, how many of you think Jesus was delusional? Okay, good, don't raise your hand. You would not be in a good crowd if you were to raise your hand on that one, all right? Let me tell you some things about Jesus. Did you know that he thought the devil was real? Jesus actually spoke about the devil. He said that Satan was a ruler of a kingdom in Luke 11, 18. He said, Satan constantly tries to make the Bible sound stupid and steal its power from our lives in Mark 4, 15. 
He told Satan, or he told uh, Peter that Satan wanted to ruin him. Uh, that's in uh, Luke 22 and 31. Simon, Simon, Jesus says, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. You know how you sift wheat, right? Whoosh, bang, whoosh, bang, whoosh, bang. Satan wants to do the same thing to you, Peter. How would you like that if, if, if somebody came to you and said, I just had a conversation with Satan. He was, we were talking about you and he said, he's got his eyes on you. Jesus spoke about the devil. Jesus taught about the devil. He said the Pharisees were offspring of their father, the devil. That was in uh, John 8, 44. Can you imagine if Jesus came up to you and, and, uh, and you were a Pharisee and he said, look, I just want to tell you, you remind me of somebody. Who do you remind me? Oh yeah, your dad, the devil. He even spoke of Satan's rebellion in Luke 10, verse 18. He said to them, I saw Satan fall from lightning, uh, like lightning from heaven. Jesus spoke about the devil. He spoke, uh, he taught about the devil and he even spoke to the devil. Remember his time in the wilderness, fasted for 40 days and then he ended up being tempted by the devil and he said these words directly to the devil, Matthew 4.10, then Jesus said to him, be gone Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. In fact, I wanna tell you that the Bible talks about the devil 60 different times. So, if you're missing this part of the conversation, you need to understand that if you're worshiping Jesus Christ and he's a phenomenal person that you want, want to pattern your life after and you think his teachings are fantastic and we should follow him with our lives, you need to understand Jesus spoke about, talked about, and talked to the devil on regular occasions. And so if Jesus believes the devil is real, so do I. In fact, God's word teaches us that the devil is real and dangerous. God spoke to the devil. Even in the book of Job, we have a long conversation that the father has with the devil in the book of Job. God's word teaches us that the devil is real and he's dangerous. Sometimes we think of the devil like this. Sometimes we, we get this picture in our mind that maybe he's a cartoon character. He sits on our shoulder and he whispers into our ear, uh, steal the cookie, steal it, Stay, take that cookie. And we think of him like this, this, uh, this impotent little red suit, pajama wearing little devil pitchfork carrying kind of guy. We got an angel on this side telling us what we should do and the devil on this side telling us what we shouldn't do. And we, so we listen to one or we listen to the other. The Bible never compares the devil to cartoon characters, pitchfork, pajama wearing poltergeist, giraffes, or even friendly dolphins. In fact, the Bible calls the devil a snake, a dragon, and a lion. What are some other words you have for the devil? They're all through the Bible, and you're probably thinking of them right now. The Bible says that he will disguise, Satan will disguise himself as an angel of light in order to get to us, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, He is described as the antichrist, the spirit of this wicked world, and the evil one. In fact, his name means adversary. The word devil, Satan, means adversary. He is our adversary. He is our slanderer. And he's also called the accuser, of the brethren. Do you know why he's called accuser of the brethren? Because when you give your life to Christ, you go in his crosshairs. He is out to get you. He is the accuser, not of the world. He is, they're on his side. He's the accuser of the brethren. And the way that he does that is he stands before God on a regular basis and accuses you of all the faults you and he know that you have. And he tries to make you impotent for the gospel because he puts those things in front of you on a regular basis. 
Satan and his minions are so evil and so dangerous that there is a place that was created to hold them for all eternity. Do you know what the name of that place was? Hell was created for the devil and his angels. Hell was not intended for images of God. Hell was not intended for people. Hell was created to hold the devil and his minions for all eternity. The devil and his, and his reach into our world, we should know, is limited, however. He cannot read your mind. He is not all-powerful. He is not omnipotent. He is not all-knowing. He, he is not God. He is a very definition of the anti-God. He does not have the abilities of the creator. He is limited in his power. The only way he can extend his reach like he does is he has these little minions called demons that do his bidding. They are not anywhere as powerful as, as God, but he is shrewd. And he has seen you a thousand times before. We think that we are the most unique individual that has ever been born. Oh, no, 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 no. There's been a thousand of you before you and he knows exactly what buttons to press with you because he's done it before. He's been involved with human beings for a long time and he wields his power among us regularly. So you might say, okay, Craig, well, this sounds all really supernatural and I feel like I should, should uh, uh, do some more research on this. So answer me this question. Where do I see his power on a regular basis? Good question. Where do we see his power on a regular basis? You might think, oh, that's pretty cool. I'd like to see the devil wield his power on a regular basis. Let me answer you this way. There's not a day goes by you don't see his power on a regular basis. You see, the devil does not dwell in hell. We see that in the cartoons too, right? He's in hell and his little minions come up to him and say, what do you mean there's no fire escape? Yeah. There's no, uh, he doesn't dwell in hell with his, with his little demons. No, no, no. Where does the devil live? Right here. He lives on this planet. He lives on the earth. He and his minions are right here on this earth. In fact, Jesus calls him the ruler of this world. And the Bible actually tells us in this passage of scripture where he is. Look in verse, uh, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, that's people, but we wrestle against rulers, authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. These are not all the same thing. These are descriptions of where the devil wields his power. The devil works in the from the supernatural realm to influence the physical realm on a regular basis. The first place we're told that he maneuvers is rulers. He influences rulers. So what do we talk about rulers? Well, rulers are described the ruling centers of the world. All around the world, there are ruling people, people who rule over these areas, and those are the people that Satan has his sights on. The ruling centers of the world, in other words, are constantly under demonic influence. And the demons are working hard in different geographical locations to snuff out wherever Jesus would shine his light, snuff that light out quickly. Then we go with authorities. Well, authorities are anybody who derives our values, those who make up our laws, those who, those who uh, uh, decide for us how their values will, will become our values. And so we have all kinds of people in this realm, anyone that would be influence, uh, influencing us to live out their values. And this would include a bunch of different people, um, um, 
that rule over these different areas. And it also goes along with powers. This also is, is a, um, uh, goes hand in hand with the previous one. Anyone who has the power to control our culture. So this would include influences like media, TV, pop stars, school teachers, universities, university teachers, anyone that would influence the way that our, the next generation might think or our generation might think about certain uh, aspects of life. In other words, we are not to swallow all things in culture because we are to understand that culture is constantly under the influence of the evil one. What about spiritual forces in heavenly places? Well, before I get to that, let me, let me just talk one more time about this one. Um, so the challenge here is that our culture influences us more than we know. Um, it's not just teachers and it's not just uh, pop stars and it's not just, you know, I, okay, this is the best way to prove this to you. You're, we're in a political season, right? We're gonna elect somebody who is reckless with their words or reckless with their morals. Either way, somebody's gonna be one of our presidents, right? That being the case, we watch TV and we try to figure out, okay, God, who, which one of these people can you work in the most to get your values instilled into our world, into our, into our culture? But when it comes time to say commentary on these two individuals, who do they go to to ask their opinion? Well, they go to pop stars, they go to media specialists, they go to, right? They, they don't go to the normal people, they go to people who have the ability to influence us, to influence our culture. And so we are forced to make an opinion based on the ideas of somebody who is not in any way under the influence of Jesus Christ, but has been infiltrated by the influence of their culture so that they parrot what they need to say that will be accepted by culture so that we are forced to make a weighed out decision, do I go this way or do I go this way? And the bottom line is, if we don't understand we're in a battle on a regular basis against the culture of the world around us, we will not understand that we are to fight against what we're hearing, and we gotta figure out where we're gonna get our strength from to do that. More on that to follow next week as we talk about the armor of God. The bottom line on this church is simply this. The culture is never to put the church on trial. The church is always to put the culture on trial. We are the ones who find our mode of living and how the gospel infiltrates our lives through this book and we constantly measure culture against this, not the other way around. But I think the church has no idea how much culture has influenced the church. And then the last one is spiritual forces in heavenly places. This is a spiritual realm, this constant onslaught in the spiritual realm that flows over into the physical world so that uh, people do the bidding of the evil one. We are to fight against any impulse or influence that this world would have to drive our hearts away from what we know Christ wants us to become. So what is the enemy's battle plan? Well, the bottom line is Satan knows your weakness and he's gonna use it against you. He knows your three major weaknesses or the three major weaknesses that I have that Michael has, that, that the elders have here in this church that everybody on the planet has ever had. And that is simply this, we have the pride of life, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. Those are the three ways that Satan will get to you. He's gotten to everybody the same way. When God spoke to Cain in the Garden of Eden, 
Cain had a problem with his brother Abel. Abel had given an offering to God that God loved. Cain gave an offering to God that God rejected. Cain got jealous. So he got mad at his brother. Did he get mad at God? Well, he kind of did. He got mad at his brother more than anything else because he couldn't take it out on God. He took his brother out for a walk in the field. And while he was out there, he killed his brother. Do you remember this? And God said, your brother's blood is screaming to me from the ground. Why? Because God sanctified the ground. He made it and Cain spilled blood on it. And there's all theology in there. There's a verse there that Michael used a couple of weeks ago. It's one of my favorite verses in scripture. And it tells us right from the get-go in Genesis chapter four, right at the very beginning, it tells us you're in a battle. The first two kids are in this battle. And God describes it this way. Cain, listen, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It's desirous for you but you must rule over it. What do you think of when you think of something crouching at the door? Do you get the idea that it's like your, your cat waiting to come in? Or do you get the idea that there's something ominous outside waiting to maliciously tear you up as soon as you give light to the door? When something's crouching at your door, it's scheming against you to tear you apart and every time Satan is talked about, every time his, his dominion is talked about, every time his power is talked about in this planet, it's always talked about in a scheming, deceitful, and dangerous way. Satan will not come to you like a lion crouching at your door. He will come to you tame, like a pussycat. This is key. He will always come to you as a friend. He will not come to you as an enemy. He will come to you with simple questions, the way he came to Eve. He didn't come to Eve in the garden and say, listen, I've got a real problem with God and I wanna suck you in so that you have a real problem with God too. That ultimately was what he wanted, right? He came to Eve and he said, Eve, let's have a conversation. Let's be friends. You see all these things that God created? They're so good, yeah, he did a good job. But, but in this conversation with you, did he really say this? Did he really say that? And could it be that he's holding something back from you? And so he begins with questions and he comes to us as a friend. He may even come to us through a friend, through our family. Who knows that, who doesn't know that they're being used to do his bidding his promise to you will always be that if you give in to this temptation, it'll be a whole lot easier than if you keep fighting against it. And it's a lie, lie, lie. Satan doesn't want to play with you. He wants to devour you. 1 Peter 5, 8 says this, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. When I play with my dog at home, she knows I'm the alpha, so she comes at me and she'll, she'll chew on my arm, but she doesn't clamp down. Now she could, she's, she's a full, she could do some damage to me if she wanted, but she doesn't. She just plays, she's just playing with me and sometimes it's a little gouge and so I'll push her aside and we'll wrestle around and, and it's, it's fun. Satan is not like that. See, Satan wants to come to you. He doesn't want to play with you. He'll act like he does. He'll give you stuff to play with. He'll say that it won't hurt you, but he will in the meantime be devouring you from the toe up and you won't even know it. 
until it's too late. Satan doesn't want to play with you. He wants to devour you. He's like, he's like Robert De Niro in The Untouchables uh, when, when he says, I want you to find this Nancy boy, Elliot Ness. I want him dead. I want his family dead. I want his house burned to the ground. You remember that scene? Great scene. You ever watch The Untouchables? Come on. I want him dead. I want his family dead. I want his house burned to the ground. I was a youth pastor for 10 years. I watched my kids walk the line. They came to church, they made friends, they liked what we did and they walked that line. They would go on our youth missions trips, they would enjoy their life over here, but they walked the line because they liked what they did in the world too. And some of them walked really close. And I would beg them, I'd say, listen, if you keep walking that line, you can't play with the devil, he's going to eat you alive, you will not win, he's not playing with you. But they kept walking the line. Oh, Craig, you know, Pastor Jarvis, that's happened to people before me, but there hasn't been anybody like me on this earth yet. I can handle it. <laughs> and they walked the line. And I watched them as they went into junior high and as they went into high school and they went into college. And I watched them one by one fall away from the Lord, fall away from the Lord, fall away from the Lord. And it wasn't because they, it wasn't because they were caught unawares. It's because they didn't take the battle seriously. And they played with fire. And when you play with fire, you're gonna get burned. That's why the, the Bible never describes Satan as an impotent entity, but as a roaring lion. You play with a fire-breathing dragon and you always get burned. So the question at this point maybe is what you're thinking, can I win in my battle with the enemy? And the answer is yes. Yes, 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 you can. Well, not you. You're, you're no good at this. You're, no, you're, not, you're gonna fail every time. So, but you can win with help. You can win. In fact, 1 John 4, 4 would be a lie if this weren't true. Little children, you are from God and you have overcome them. For, read this with me, it's great. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. All right, I know, I know. We need to do it again. Little children, you are from God and I've overcome them one more time. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. If you are a Christian, you have God dwelling in you. And greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Satan is not in hell waiting for you to get there someday. He is in the world and he has his eyes set on you. You need help from somebody inside you and his power to overcome. Never forget, you're in a battle. There are no spectators in this planet. Nobody in your purview is a spectator. Not the greatest, most righteous person that you can think of to the lowest, most destable sinner that you can think of. Everybody is involved in this battle and everybody is on one side or the other. They're either on the side of the winner or the side of the loser. Follower of Jesus or no follower of Jesus, either you are winning in your battle against the devil or you are losing, period. The minute you come up for air, the minute you think you need a breather, boom, he'll pile drive you right down again. He'll come at you through everybody you know. He'll come at you through loved ones in your own. You know one way he'll come at you is through your kids. I have seen this over and over again. You and your wife, you love your kids. You just, oh, they're so adorable. And then they, and they just act like devils, you know? You know? And, and then you go, you, these are your kids. No, no, they're your kids. No, 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 they're your kids. 
and then the kids will do something and they'll create division between them. Then they'll play you against one another, right? It's like they take a class on this. Well, mom said, no, I'm gonna go ask dad. What do you think dad's gonna say? Well, he's a pushover. He'll let me do it, you know? And these little, little they turn into little minions at the devil. He'll use everything, everything you hold dear. He'll come at you with. He'll turn everything good into something bad in order to get you to be discouraged and broken in your relationship with the Lord because God is trying to make you into something great and he wants nothing better than to tear that down. Our only relationship that we are to have with the devil is to battle with him on a regular basis. That's why in verse 12 it says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers. And I wanna tell you one more thing before we move on from this section. Jesus has done everything possible to divide or to tear down that dividing wall of hostility that existed between you and God. You know that there was one. God thought of you as an enemy at one point because we were in our sin, but if you accept Christ as your savior, Jesus comes, he tears down that wall and you're good with God. And one way that Satan will come to you is he will come to you and he'll start re-erecting that wall. And he'll come to you and he'll say, nah, I don't think God is good with you because you know, who, you know what you did yesterday. I don't think God is good with you because you know what you said last week. I don't think God is good with you because you know who you are and I know who you are. Let's not play games. There is a problem between you and God and you might as well give up because God can't use you anymore. And he tries to erect that wall of hostility between you and God. I want to keep telling you the power of the gospel is the fact that Jesus came once and for all to tear down that wall of hostility. And if you know Christ is your savior, if you go to God through Jesus Christ, that wall can never be erected again. You are good with God. And he can use you. And anytime the devil comes to you and says, you can't do this or you can't do that for God, it's a lie because if you belong to God, you're forever his. And he can use you to do amazing things for his glory. The battle is won as long as we are living as overcomers of light and truth in a fallen world. And the battle plan for Christians is to interject the gospel into every single part of life. We are to take everything that we find in this God's holy word and interject it into life so that we become leaders in the culture and not followers of it. Every Christian is in the process of redeeming things with Jesus Christ. He becomes, we become his ambassadors of reconciliation. He reconciled us to God. Now he says, now you go do the same thing. And your life is meant to be used as, an, as, a, as a light of the gospel in every single part of life so that you can reconcile this fallen world to a holy God. 1 John 5, 4. Everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Even our faith. And so the path of the soldier is to stand firm. We are to stand firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus said, build your house on the... And when you stand on the rock, you stand on firm ground. And so you are to plant your feet firm. In fact, it's reiterated here in this passage of scripture. Put on the armor that you may be able to stand, verse 11. Stand in the evil day. Having done all, stand firm. Verse 14, stand therefore. Do you get the idea? Over and over and over again, God is saying to us, stand, stand. What are you standing on? You have to stand on the truth of God. Take it onto the battlefield and win against the, your battle with the devil. No Christian ever gives ground. We Christians, we stand our ground. We don't take on, uh, we don't take on the look of the world in our family, in our, in our friends, with our finances, in our workplace. We are to resemble Christ in every aspect of our lives. 
Realize where this comes in. This phrase of the battle, Ephesians 6.10, look at the very first word that we read, Ephesians 6.10, what is the word? When do you use the word finally? At the end, it's a summary. Okay, I'm at the end. Every Sunday, you wait for the pastor to say, finally. We're finally here. This is, this is gonna be a summary, a recap of everything you need to know. So stick with me, because this is important. And look what Paul says. Fine. You know why he says finally right here? What have we been talking about? What have we been talking about in Ephesians 5? How husbands relate to their wives. How wives relate to their husbands. How bosses relate to their workers. How workers relate to their bosses. How children relate to their parents. How fathers relate to their children. All of this is included because this is your life. And when you do it God's way, it's gonna be great. But realize you're in a battle. So here we go, finally, if you wanna do this, if you wanna reconstruct your life so that it becomes a redeeming lighthouse of God's power in a fallen world, finally, be strong in the Lord. Because quite frankly, you are unfit for this battle. And so am I. We cannot do this on our own. We are, we, we are powerless. Our, 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 our response would be to say, well, how is this possible to redeem my, my wife or redeem my marriage or redeem my relationship with my kids? Craig, how is that possible? You don't know my kids. You don't know my wife. You don't know my husband. <laughs> There's no way this is possible. That's why he says, this is not gonna be easy. Don't forget, this is battle. Finally, be strong in the Lord. The key here is that the person you face off with is not the person you're facing off with. The person you're facing off with is standing behind the person you think you're facing off with. And they may be used of the devil to try and get you off the path. Don't let it happen. You wanna have a marriage that pleases God? Fight for it. You wanna have a family that resembles Christ on the earth? Fight for it. Don't give up ground, stand firm, but be strong in the Lord. Because quite frankly, no one is up to this task. Only he is able to do this. You need the strength of the Lord to do any of the things that we've been talking about over the last few months. If you try and do this, this battle, you're throwing rocks at machine guns. If you try and do this battle on your own, you're ill-prepared. You need help outside of yourself, so be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. I love this, in the strength of his might. The Roman soldiers, they were, they were known by a phrase, Rome doesn't retreat. They had, a, they had a formation that they would have on the battlefield, and you've probably seen this, it's been popular in some movies, where they would stand back to back one another and they would put their their, their shields in front of them, full body length shields, and they would plant them in the ground, plant their feet in the ground. They'd be back to back with their friends. They had shields all around and shields up on top in case there's arrows that come from the sky and they stood their ground. Even when, even when they were bombarded on all fronts, being flanked from left, right, back, stand their ground. And when the enemy had had enough because they couldn't penetrate it, they would come at them and they would just shove their swords through and start killing the enemy. They took most of the uh, modern world in their day, Rome ruled the entire planet just about because they said Rome doesn't retreat. And this would stand as long as a soldier didn't give in to fear or didn't, or didn't uh, uh, give up 
and run away from the battle and break ranks. This is what Paul, I think, was talking about with this tactic. We belong to the church of Jesus Christ and the church of Jesus Christ is the most powerful entity on the planet. That is why Jesus himself said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Don't back down. You don't give up ground. In fact, when the battle gets strongest is when we are to let our faith shine the strongest. So we are to put on the full armor of God. We'll talk more about that next week. The path to victory means that we gotta be armored up beforehand. Soldiers that get on the battlefield and start armoring up then, they're gonna run into some challenges. You gotta put your armor on now. We'll talk more about that next week. Let me, let me say this one more thing. Wouldn't you, be on, wouldn't you rather be on the side of a winner than a loser? <laughs> I would. If I'm going into battle, I mean serious battle, I'd rather be on the side of a winner. There's a verse that Jesus said after he rose from the dead and conquered death and before he, rose, uh, before he ascended into heaven. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 28, 18, he said, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. We, we like this passage of scripture and you probably know this passage. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded. You know that? We know this. And lo, I'm with you always. Love that passage. Look how he starts the whole passage. Jesus starts the whole conversation with two words. What are those two words? All authority has been given to me. Do you know why? Oh, by the way, all authority in heaven and on earth. All, that, that covers everything. All th- Do you know why he said that? It's because Jesus took on the devil, battled it at the cross of Calvary, took our sins, every one of your sins and every one of my sins on his shoulders. He battled it all out at the, at the cross of Calvary, shed righteous blood to cover our sinful blood, past, present, and future. And with that death, he was able to forgive all sins. And then he died. Three days later, After being in the grave, he rises from the dead. What does that mean? He took all of the power of sin. He took all of the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin is death. Jesus died to take our penalty from us. He took all the power of sin, all the penalty of sin, and he rose from the dead. He was victorious. Satan didn't keep him down. He conquered sin and death and the grave. And because of that, he has all authority. And because he has all authority, he is the most powerful person, the most powerful entity that there has ever existed. He has conquered every onslaught that Satan would bring against you. And he has won every single time. That means that you are, if you are on his side, you're on the side of the victor. All authority has been given in heaven and on earth to me, Jesus says. And so he says, you remember we asked this question, the devil, does he make you do things? It's interesting, if that's true, then this verse would not be true. Look at this verse, James 4, 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will what? Flee from you. That means that if you resist the devil, he will flee. You do not have to be under the thumb of the devil. You are not a puppet of the devil. If you know Christ is your savior and you have his strength working through you, you have the strength of all of heaven at your disposal. You are more than a conqueror through him who loved you. If you resist the devil, he will flee. I wonder if we really believe that. 
The battles that we face on a regular basis, I wonder if we really believe that. Because he comes to us to manipulate us and to use us and sometimes without us even knowing. I wonder if we really believe that if we face the battle right now with the devil, we can win through a power stronger than us. Resist the devil and he will flee. With a constant stream of demonic influences, we might be under oppression more than we know at times. And our daily responsibility is to put on the armor of God, to surrender to God's will and give up our own. To live out God's truth in his Bible and not make it say what we want it to say. To not let culture lead our way, but to let God lead our way. God is in the middle of redeeming your life for his glory. And if we forget we're in a battle, we're gonna get caught sleeping. Most churches will not preach these kinds of messages for one reason or another. Some, some churches even transfer the word sin so that it's not something so heavy on your shoulders, but they change it into something different like a low self-esteem or, a, or a, um, the inability to be happy in my life. Because of this misguided and impotent teaching, Christians wander into battle inadequately prepared. There is a grisly onslaught awaiting every one of us as soon as we exit that door. Can you imagine showing up on a medieval battlefield with a pair of boxing gloves? Your opponent has knives and swords and spears and you show up in shorts and a boxing gloves. How long would you last? I wanna tell you though, Christian, if you know Christ as your savior, you are in a battle and God has fitted you for the battle. You are not on your own. You are clothed like a warrior because you're clothed under all of God's armor that he has fitted for you more in this next week, but you are prepared to go into battle with the evil one and win. There's not a power raised against you that will prosper. It's just that few people understand that they're in a battle and unfortunately they get torn apart by the enemy. Martin Luther said it this way, did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabbath is his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. You cannot win this battle on your own, so God is calling you to his side. Christian, God is calling you to stand firm. You have everything you need to succeed. Resist the devil, he will flee. Unbeliever, hopefully by now you understand you're in a dangerous place. <laughs> you are battling ill-prepared. Run to Christ, the great and victorious warrior. Put on the armor that he has for you and you will be victorious as well. I finish with, with this one thing. I did, every time I do a funeral, I think about these ideas because I think when people give their lives to Jesus Christ, the greatest enemy we face is death. And when, when somebody gives their lives to Jesus Christ, the reason I call it a home going or a celebration is because we don't have to wonder where they are. Their body may be in their casket, but they are rejoicing with the Lord. That is because Jesus has conquered everything Satan has to throw at us, even death, and he has won. And because he has won, we too will win. In fact, the Bible says it this way, because Christ has arisen, so will we rise someday.
what weapon formed against you can prosper? Not a one. Let's pray. Father, it's, it's a teaching that we don't hear very often. It kind of puts us into a place where we think about things that we don't usually think about or are maybe scared to even contemplate at times. But over 60 times in scripture, you tell us about Satan and his schemes against us. And so we should take this very seriously, especially when we're seeing you redeem our lives and redeem our families and redeem our work experiences and redeem our finances and redeem our family lives. We are gonna need some strong power behind us in order to fight against the schemes of the devil that would seek to tear that down. And so, Father, if anyone has made decisions to, to allow you to redeem those areas, those relationships in their lives over these past few months as we've been talking through Ephesians, may you now give them the confidence that you have done everything needed in order to give them the strength they need to succeed, to be victorious. It is a battle. It is an ongoing battle. But with your power, we can see victory through every part of our lives. And so, Father, I pray that that would be the thing that would burn into our minds as we close our time and go to the communion service now. Thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you for the victory at the cross. It's because of that that we sing. In Jesus' name, amen.